Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football today and preview USC versus Stanford with our buddy uh, RJ Abadia, who's with the bootleg.com, part of the Scout 247 CBS network, all that stuff. So we're going to talk to RJ in a little bit, but I, we had a bunch of other questions that we didn't get to with Dan Weber or Harvey Hyde or even Gerard Martinez that I thought I'll just do a little kind of solo podcast segment and answer some of those questions first and then kind of move on and we'll talk to RJ here in a little bit. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email. Our voicemail and text number is 424-254-9141. We do have a text. Uh, we do have a voicemail to get to. It's a good one. Um, so yeah, so good stuff. We've done, this is our God, this is our fourth uh, podcast this week. Plus, I did the podcast of champions, which was another couple hours. So, excuse me if my voice is going. And we're actually doing um, a live Facebook show, Facebook live show, uh, a little bit later today too. It'll probably be up uh, on replay on uscfootball.com. So, if you're interested in that, you go check that out. That'll be with Keeley and Shotgun and myself. So, a lot of stuff, a lot of questions, a lot of talk about USC Trojan football. Uh, of course, the Trojans are 1-0 heading into Stanford uh, this weekend. So I want to play this voicemail right off the top because so we did a uh, recruiting podcast yesterday on Wednesday and with Gerard Martinez. And we normally do it as a premium thing. So you have to be a member of uscfootball.com. This time we did it. So it was free. And the beginning was kind of a little bit of a rant. We, we started talking about like what what we do. But anyway, I'll, I'll play the voicemail and then we'll kind of talk about it. Hello. This is Myron from Queens. Just got home. It took two buses, three trains, and an Uber to get home, but I'm home. I wanted to tell Mr. Gerald that I feel your pain. You're appreciated. And I know what you're going through. You had to sit on hot bleachers in the California sun surrounded by attractive women and a game of football. I get it. I had to keep changing seats on the train because, let's just say, the red line out of Flushing has a little bit of a vomit problem. <laughs> and there ain't enough fix in the world to shove up your nose in that situation. So I get it. I know what you're going through. And then Mr. Gerald told us that he went to three different games similarly. I have three operations all next week, all on three different limbs. So I know what you're going through. To Ryan and Mr. Gerald and the girl who hates being called Kelly, if nobody's been saying thank you lately, well, my room from Queens is saying thank you. Bye-bye now. Awesome. Myron from Queens. Thank you, Myron. And that's an unbelievable story. Two buses, three trains, and an Uber. 
Uh, we got to consult. I think we can talk to a travel consultant. We got to get that down a little bit, especially with the uh, moving seats on the train with all the vomit and stuff. Three different limbs you're having surgeries on. This sounds like one of those stories where your dad, you know, goes up to go to school uphill both ways in the snow. Uh, so hopefully that one limb that you got left that's not getting surgery on is doing all right. But Myron, great stuff. Yes. So uh, hopefully it didn't come off. And obviously for Myron, it did, uh, some sort of complaining. People, I think just in general, they look at what you do and they're like, Oh, uh, you go watch a football game and then you get to talk about it a little bit. It's, it's, it's all fun and games and stuff. And it's, I mean, this time of year and you know, my wife is going out like with our friends and stuff. And what are you doing? I'm working all weekend. So it just, it is a lot of work, but we love what we do. And yeah, it's not, not to come off as complaining about, you know, what was going on. I think we were trying to get a little bit of how the sausage is made. A lot of people ask questions about it. Um, you know, what you end up doing and, uh, they'll, they'll see us at events and they want to talk and stuff like, Hey, I got to go interview this guy. Like I can't just chat. I need that. I'm here to actually work. So yes, uh, it's not digging ditches. It's not, you know, anything that's like labor intensive. Um, you know, you, you're in the elements sometimes and you know, that's just a way to, sometimes it's really cold after, you know, at night at a high school football game or the, you know, unseasonably warm where it's just people are passing out from heat and stuff. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that happens, but it's fairly rare. Um, but you know, when you're covering a game, you're shooting footage, taking photos, doing interviews, and then you got to go home and write all that stuff up. So that, I think that's all I say. Not, it's, uh, certainly not, um, to the point where you're like debilitating, you know, it's not, it's just not that way. So Myron, I hope everything turns around for you. Um, and I love that you called Gerald Gerard or Gerard Gerald. That's the kind of running joke on the peristyle. You obviously listen and you check things out. So hopefully everything's going well with you. And I don't think Keely hates being called Kelly, but it just happens sometimes and stuff. So, uh, get it. Yeah. Send us more voicemails. Myron. Uh, that was great. So again, didn't mean to kind of come off as, uh, uh, what was us? We got this, you know, job. And, you know, we're very, I think we're very lucky to do what we do. I used to be an electrical engineer. I loved it. It's not like I hated what I was doing. Um, it was more lucrative as far as, uh, career goes, but, you know, I love doing this and it's fun and seeing, uh, kids go from, you know, 15 year olds to in the NFL and retiring. We've seen their careers like throughout and talk to them along the way. It's, uh, it's rewarding. I like, you know, being involved with, uh, the young athletes and, and talking with them and getting their stories and, and telling all that. So it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, to me, uh, it is, but it is, you know, a lot of work a lot of times. So, um, I do like the flexible schedule mostly in the off season. Once football season starts, it's not very flexible because you're just like constantly going and, you know, we have a big staff now, but we continually try to put more and more content up on uscfootball.com. So that's kind of what we do. All right. So we have a ton and ton and ton of questions. And I want to get through them as quickly as I can. So I'm going to try to just so everyone gets their name out there and, you know, at least give address things a little bit. Uh, Charles says just a few comments. The starting wide receivers weren't catching the ball except for Burnett. Secondly, why did we keep throwing fly routes and not have taller wide receivers in the game? I Lewis Vaughn's, uh, Grimes, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, the criticism was that they were going with the, the veteran guys. If you checked out Shotgun's piece on uscfootball.com, he kind of gives you a breakdown, or he doesn't kind of, he does. Breakdown of the number of plays everyone got. I think it's going to extend a little bit this time. I think you're going to see more Tyler Vaughns. Uh, we know Joseph Lewis is going to get more playing time. Um, so, it, yeah, things weren't exactly clicking, but I would expect 
Uh, the rotation to change a little bit uh, going into this game. The starters are, have been announced as the same, at least on the depth chart. We'll see the beginning of the game if that changes at all. Andrew, hey guys, I like the game. Uh, it showed the team could make the necessary adjustments the second half of the game. I hope they use this as a tool on points of the game to focus on. It's a first game. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every team in college football had the jitters except Alabama. The run D improved. When Cam Smith came in, keep pounding the ball. I see Rojo with Carr moving up to the number two in the depth chart. It was a common question whether Darnold needed a solid guy. Once he knew he was connected with Burnett, that's where he started killing it. Too many drop passes and two resulted in picks. The coach was right, saying this was a no-pushover team. They were 13-0 last season. I somehow missed the podcast with Coach McCullough and went back to it and listened to it on Friday before the game. I was very impressed with him. Talking about run through trash and yards after contact, I was watching the highlights and saw plenty of that. I was at the game and the big board was awesome. Great to see all the replays and sound in the Coliseum was great. Beat Stanford, fight on, and Andrew. Yeah, I'm glad you, uh, Dylan McCullough interviewed. I thought that was a really good one. Um, he was great. And I, I think there was no nepotism in that hire. You just go out and get the best running back coach you could find. He was in Indiana, put, you know, develop guys, recruited guys, develop guys, put them in the NFL. At Indiana, so and he's doing that at USC. So I think you're going to see fruits of that hire coming forward. He would get the the highest grade from me of any of the assistant coaches after uh, that game. So thanks for that, Andrew. Steve in Beaumont, California, he said, "Thank you, Pac-12 Network. Because of you, most of the people will look at the final score and not see the game. We won't be so lucky next week." Yes, uh, that was the one thing you could look at that not a lot of people saw it. If you just saw the score, you didn't realize it was close most of the time. And number two, thank you, Nick Saban. USC, along with every other season-opening opponent, owes a debt of gratitude to Nick Saban, who apparently hates home-and-home scheduling. I doubt any opponent wants to see Alabama at the beginning of the season two years in a row. Uh, no, they probably don't. And uh, Alabama does you know, as good a job of anybody, probably the best job in the country, of getting ready for that first game. Um, you know, they, they handled Florida State. Uh, obviously, last year handled USC. They've continued to do that. When they lose, it's later on in the season. But, um, yeah, Nick Saban's got a – it's a machine right there. And that's what USC's and other schools are trying to get to that point where they're – you can beat them sometimes, but it, it takes a lot, you know. Um, but you want to be that consistent program that's – whenever you lose a guy, there's someone else to replace them. And so USC's trying to get up to there, get up to that mountain. I think the hardest thing is to stay on top, and that's uh, what you're seeing Alabama try to do. Manny says, it was great to be in the Coliseum on Saturday watching the Trojans notch the first victory. A win's a win. And knowing you can win even when you play lousy can be a benefit down the road. I would agree with that. Uh, watching Jake Olson cap the afternoon with his extra point snap was the highlight all Trojan fans in attendance and watching on TV will always remember. But I do have a beef with how it all went down. I read that Coach Helton contacted Western Michigan's Coach Lester during the week and floated the idea of letting Jake snap the extra point. It was agreed that there would be no rush. To me... That's an insult to the hard work Jake has put in to be a member of the football team. Everything about Jake's life at this point has been about overcoming adversity, and he's living the de- and he's the living definition of the word gamer. If you're going to put Jake into an NCAA football game, it should be understood he's facing a full rush uh, with no quarter, uh, no quarter given. Uh, I think he, I'm not sure what he means there, but yeah, just full rush, just no, um, uh, you know, not giving him any. Uh, special consideration. He's a regular football player, I think is what he's talking about here. The NCAA rules already give some protection to the center. The snapper, yes. 
Uh, against the full rush, I have every confidence that Jake would have performed his duties like the 2017 USC football team member that he is. I hope that Jake gets another opportunity this season to show his stuff. Uh, Jake continually shows us what it means to fight on. Manny in Chino, California, class of 82. Love the show. P.S. Love the show. Everyone involved does a great job feeding us our weekly Trojan fix. Well, thank you, Manny. And yeah, no, I thought the exact same thing. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, I try not to be too politically correct. But in this kind of situation, I'm like, it, it, does that take a little bit away that you have to call and kind of set it up? And, you know, thinking about it, I don't think it's a big deal the first time. And we asked Clay Hilton about this yesterday. He still was saying that the other coach needs to know the situation if the play breaks down. So it's not just the snap. He can't get hit. But if something happens and it's fumbled and then there's guys running and trying to score for a two-point conversion and Jake's out there and can't see anything, I think that's what happens if the play breaks down that's kind of what he's worried about but to me that happens so infrequently he's six foot four 225 pounds or whatever he is he said he's not made of glass i wanted to get to that point uh just like you manny where it's just like hey you put him out there if it's garbage time whatever it is he just is out there as a player and i think that would give him even you know obviously give him a great feeling to be out there if he knows that yeah i'm out here snapping and i could get hit I'm not going to, you know, if he hits the ground, he gets back up. You know, he's, he's blind. He's not, he's not crippled or anything. So, um, yes, I, I agree with you on that, Manny. And I, you know, we'll see. It's, he should get into the game more. Um, but it sounds like Clay Houghton for now wants to let the other team know when it happens. It probably won't be like the no rush thing, but just so if the play breaks down, he's not going to be some kind of target. All right. Dominic from South Bend, he said, first off, Feels great to have USC football back. The Trojans inched out a victory over a tough Western Michigan team. However, I can't help but think the coaching staff has some work to do. All the Trojans' touchdowns on offense were designed run plays. With that said, it makes me think about the receiving core. Uh, Clay Helton favors, says he favors experience over talent, but I think the player like, a player like Jalen Green, a converted quarterback, wouldn't make as much of a difference at wide receiver as Michael Pittman or even a Josh Mentor baby. Coach Hel- Helton made a rough decision last year. Starting Sam over Max. I'm interested to hear what the podcast team may think. Thanks to Fight On, Dominic from South Bend. I kind of talked about this a little bit already, but uh, Michael Pittman's out. Um, so he's not going to play in this game. I think when he comes back, you'll see him more. Uh, they're going to, they're going to play a bunch of receivers. I think you're going to see the distribution of, uh, reps spread out a little more, but I think the first two in are going to be Vaughn's and Lewis. Um, they're going to have the most reps. And I think for Tyler Vaughn's, I've been touting him all the time. His first one was a drop. It was his first ever, you know, pass attempt or whatever in college. Then he caught a, a pretty good one. And he almost got a touchdown on and set up a Stephen Carr touchdown. I think, you know, get him going a little bit, get him some touches. He'll be comfortable and he'll be fine. And I think he's a guy that would make that catch, uh, that one of the interceptions that, uh, Sam Darnold threw. He's just great at high pointing the ball. Um, he at least wouldn't give up the interception, I would think, there. So I think you're going to see some of the younger guys uh, get in the mix a lot more. They really love Joseph Lewis. Um, didn't see much of Josh and Mentor Bebe. Uh, his brother, obviously, Daniel, getting a lot from him. But, um, yeah, Josh, I don't know. We'll see if he kind of breaks in. I like I like his game, too. But um, they got a lot of possibilities. Sometimes that's not always a good thing. It's just hard to kind of find the one you want and, and to sort through everything. So, this will be still a little bit more sorting through, but Burnett's the guy 
Dominic. So uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the USC Notre Dame game. You're in South Bend. I'm sure you're going uh, when the Trojans come out there in October. Marcel in San Gabriel Valley, while watching the Florida-Mission game, it was brought to our attention that Florida hasn't traveled out of state to play a non-conference opponent in nearly 30 years. Alabama and the vaunted SEC haven't fared much better. How is it possible during today's college football, USC has traveled to Boston College, Syracuse, and other schools in the Far East and still expected to compete for national championships? As a businessman, I'm affected by travel to these East Coast cities and suffer jet lag and other things that come up. Why are the teams in the East not subject to the same school requirements, schedule requirements as teams in the West? Texas A&M UCLA game was scheduled before they joined the SEC. Love the show. Fight on. Marcel in San Gabriel Valley. I mean, it's there's... A lot of teams in the SEC. You can play a lot of teams there. Um, USC doesn't have to schedule those games. They choose to because you have to, there's not as much exposure on the West Coast. You have to do that. So it's just kind of a necessary evil of what's going on. Now, there are schools in the SEC that travel and there's schools that don't. Like you said, Florida doesn't leave the state for out of state games. And it also has to do with, you know, they have four out of conference games. They try to get as many home ones as possible. They're scheduling more cupcakes. Uh, USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame, the only schools that haven't scheduled an FCS school. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of those factors that are going in, but no one's required to do anything. That's just the way it's always been. And the SEC is, you know, a powerful conference. There's a lot, you know, people just think of it as, oh, you can just schedule the SEC. That's enough. Now you saw last year where it was Alabama and the rest. There's more years like that where the rest of the SEC is kind of garbage and Alabama's good. I think you're not going to get the same benefit of the doubt that you've been getting uh, for many years. So it's Alabama's going to get the benefit of the doubt, just like a USC does. If you think USC's back, people are jumping on. But if the rest of the SEC continues to be garbage, then you, they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Only Alabama will be, kind of like what was happening in the Pac-12 and USC. Now, you know, teams like Stanford and Washington are getting more of the benefit of the doubt now. You have to have some kind of sustained uh, success. Neil in Manila says, do you guys think that Joseph Lewis and Josh Mentor Baby should get more playing time? There seems to be physical, they seem to be physical and reliable receivers. And it was disappointing not seeing them against, uh, Western Michigan. Well, Joseph Lewis did. I don't recall Josh Mentor Baby might have got a play or two. Not very much if he did. Um, I know like Trayvon Sidney got one play and he had one catch. It, like I said before, expect more of Joseph Lewis. Um, we'll see about Josh Mentor Baby. I haven't just. They haven't really talked about him getting more playing time like they have with Joseph Lewis. This is Big Nick, uh, 21 USC. He says, hello, Trojan fans. And my voice is really dying. I, I apologize for that. My question is about the USC men's basketball recruiting for this class. How many spots do we have free? Who are the guys that USC is, uh, taking? Uh, yeah, I had no idea, Big Nick. Um, I forgot I included this one in here. I was going to have shotgun on, but I'm just doing this one solo. So. Um, if you want, we're going to do that live Facebook live show. We can kind of talk about that, but not my area of expertise. I am sorry about that. Let's see. Jeremiah, are we seeing the potential Heisman bid with Rojo's added title of kick returner? I know he could do it purely on his running, but returning kicks couldn't hurt. That's a very good point, Jeremiah. Um, I think it depends how many carries he gets. If he gets to 2000 yards, then you're, you're a contender for sure. If he's like at 1,600 yards, but he has a couple kickoff returns, um, that'll certainly help. Having a multiple dimension to your game, I think it's a big deal. So, yes, I think that would be uh, beneficial for his Heisman campaign. Uh, Jeff, the math teacher in Fountain Valley. Ryan and company, I hope you're, you can help me. 
I just read the news that the Pac-12 named Jake Olson Special Teams Player of the Week. I'm feeling a sudden sense of disorientation. It's just so surreal that the Pac-12 actually did something right. Is it all just a dream? Thank you all for what you do, Jeff and Fountain Valley. Yes, uh, I voted. I didn't feel bad. I vote in that um, award. So it's it's voted by the media. So it's not like the Pac-12 does it. Um, but I vote in that award, and I didn't have any problems um, voting him. You know, play. You know, now are you taking something away from somebody that had a really good game on special teams? Yeah, I mean it was week one. I didn't see um, anyone that just had some crazy, you know, like two touchdown returns or anything like that. Uh, kickoff. I didn't. You know, uh, I might have missed that, but I was following pretty closely. So yes, I didn't have a problem with that, even though it's kind of like a token thing. I think it was the right thing to do. Nate uh, Nate Chandler on the Peristyle says, Hey, Ryan, question for you. Either uh, I'm a grad student at USC, and every day I see members of the football team going back and forth on motorized scooters, longboards, gas-powered scooters. Just yesterday, Rasheem Green was uh, went flying past me, and I just uh, was thinking to myself how risky and dangerous that actually was if he should fall and injure himself. So the coaching staff really permit this. They'll even have a say on whether or not the team can or should use them. Thanks in advance. Uh, so Nate, yeah, I've, I remember I was walking by Juju Smith Schuster. He was on one of those motorized, like unicycle things, like which look even way more dangerous. And we, we said hi to each other and he almost <laughs> fell off and I felt terrible. Like, oh man, if he said, if he fell off that saying hi to me and then hurt himself, that would be bad. I haven't heard where they're limiting any of that stuff. I mean, people ride bikes, they ride skateboards. Um, you know, that's, you got to get around campus somehow. So. Um, I haven't heard where they've limited that. I think that would be a situation where if Juju had fallen off and hurt himself, then they would uh, like ban him or whatever. But I haven't heard of any of that. And we see students, like you said, doing that all the time. But you can't, you know, once they leave the practice field and once they leave the, you know, the football facility, you can't put them in bubble wrap. Like they have to live their lives. They're, you know, 19-year-old kids or whatever. So um, they want to still have a life. It's not just all about football. So uh, I haven't seen them limit that at all. Let's see. See, it is the USC defense is using the nickel as a base defense. Do you think it might be a better idea to use Jamel Cook versus Jenny Harris when uh, attempting to stop the run? I've always understood a Jenny to be a better coverage guy versus Cook, who I've heard is a stronger tackler. I'm just saying, if we're not going to put a third or fourth down lineman in, uh, let's use more physical DBs to stop the run and negate the pass. Thanks for your time. And fight on. And I'm sorry I didn't write down the name of whoever sent this in. Um, I think Jamel Cook should get in there. Now, I like them as a safety. I like they briefly was a nickel. Um, but he's a, a big, lanky corner now. And I'd like to see him get in the game um, at corner. So Jack Jones didn't come off the field at all. I think that was a mistake. I actually asked Clancy Pendergast about that a little bit. They're going to change the rotation. He wasn't saying a whole lot. Uh, but I like a Jenny Harris in the, in the run defense and stuff too. So he's a, he's a stud. I don't think it's the, he's the one you want to get out of there, but just mixing it up a little bit. Um, and are they going to specialize if it's like a nickel, but more of a, you know, facing a run? Maybe, but it's really just been about if they got three wide receivers in, USC's in the nickel. And, and like Shotgun said, you know, USC's in the nickel a hell of a lot. It's just a lot. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, but. We'll see. We'll see what the kind of rotation looks like uh, today. We got Brian said, after reading today that Chuma Doga has a bruised knee, I immediately wondered if this could have been prevented. He was one of the players I saw during the game who has knee pads rolled up above his knee. 
has been a new trend among players, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous. We see the knee as part of the body that routinely gets injured. Why aren't these players wising up and seeing that it needs to be protected? What are your thoughts, Brian? Um, so I went back and looked at all the pictures and stuff. Like, everyone has their pants above their knee. So there's no, like, knee pad per se. The the offensive linemen do wear knee braces. So that should be the protection you're using. But I don't think it's something that Chuma does. I think everybody kind of does that, where there's not really, there's the thigh pad, the pants, and then you're kind of looking down and, uh, uh, above, you know, and above, you can see everyone's exposed knee. So I don't think it's just something he's doing. All right, let's do a text message. We got Clayton in Santa Clarita, class of 2011. For everything you guys have reported, it sounds like Stephen Carr has good hands. Why not use him as a kick slash punt return guy? Seems to have the skills and vision to be a real threat. What do you think? Yeah, he's back there. He's not uh, one of the starters yet, but that's been uh, a lot of the talk. People have said, hey, why don't you get uh, Stephen Carr back there? So that could certainly happen. Um, I think they want to, you know, he's a freshman. He's a true freshman. He's had one game, a couple touchdowns. I think they want to use him more in that capacity for now, and we'll see if people still struggle or, you know, there's some struggles on the kickoff return uh, if he gets kind of in the mix. Anthony in L.A. said, the Western Michigan game had a strong benefit for the Trojans, and that is uh, seeing a deep, dynamic run game and veteran stout defense, which is exactly what the Trojans are going to face with Stanford. Do you guys, guys agree? And if so, do you anticipate the same kind of game plan with a balanced run and pass offense or lean more towards the run? Uh, thanks, Anthony in LA. So they talk about 50-50 a lot, um, but it was definitely skewed towards passing. Um, I think they wanted to get the passing game going. It wasn't really about balance, and that kind of balanced it off at the end. So I, I didn't think it was truly balanced. Um, I think if the, if the pass game is successful and they're, they're mixing some other guys in, then I think it'll be more balanced, but they were really trying to kind of get that rolling. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, Ronald Jones, it was a hot hand. You kind of roll with them. They got away from them for three series in a row after that first touchdown. They went three and out three times. So you can't have that happen uh, against Stanford. Chris and Marino Valley, we're going to do a couple more, and then we're going to get to RJ. Um, he said, hello, Trojan fans. Uh, if I run an offense with five linemen minimum, when USC uses two down linemen set, the offense has a size advantage in the middle Imagine Stanford using extra linemen in place of tight ends and wide receivers. Now an even bigger size advantage in the middle of the field with the fullback blocking. I hated uh, Helton talking about quote-unquote gap control and poor tackling. Maybe so, but we need more DTs and DEs on the field. Against the heavier sets versus Stanford or any other run-first team, if you agree, hit, uh, hit Clancy about it. Yeah, we did talk about that already. I heard Dan Weber ask Clay if the defensive line was overwhelmed. I don't think Clay understands how small Clancy Pendergast defense is. How small? Uh, perfect for spread offenses. Too, too small to stop the run. Against bigger run sets, power eyes, jumbo sets. Maybe we need to use only three DBs and match their alignment on the field on every play. Fight on. Curtis and Marino Valley. Um, and, you know, shotgun plotted these and actually USC had a harder time stopping the run or they gave up more yards per play when they had three down linemen in there. So Clancy's philosophy is more about speed. Um, and Matt, you know, they talk about the matchups and all of that. So that's just something, I mean, that's the way he kind of runs his defense. Now we did see against Stanford last year, they had some different sets where they brought in like Jordan Iosefa and they changed things around. Um, so you'll see, I think you'll see some kind of jumbo sets from USC, but they essentially have, you know, four linemen um, just 
two of them are smaller in Port Augustine and Uchenna and Wusu. And then they bring in a third. Uh, will we see more Marlin Tuipelotu? Probably. I think you're going to see more of him. Um, over Josh Fatu, but you know, that, that's just going to be something to watch. Watch that defensive front. The main thing is whatever scheme they're running, they can't get pushed around. They have to be more aggressive. They weren't being very aggressive. They didn't really know what was going on. Um, trying to figure out what the calls were. It was more of the read and react stuff that you saw from Justin Wilcox than the pin your ears back and go after guys like it was with Clancy Pendergast. So I think they'll be more aggressive and that should be the key. We'll do one last one, then we'll get RJ in, uh, John in Oakland. So my question is this, do you see instant replay being used to call penalties? Not just review these made by, not just review those made by the ref, specifically pass interference calls as soon as a pass is thrown. All the cameras in the stadium will focus on the receiver. Do they, and they usually have good angles and multiple views. I'm surprised how many times a DB or wide receiver doing something blatantly illegal by the closest on the field ref's vision is blocked or they, or they're too far away. However, the camera coverage clearly shows the infraction. Fight on beat the farm, John in Oakland. I don't see that happening, John. Um, I think you got to get the centralized replay stuff first. And, uh, that's got to be consistent across the board. But then even that, like you're talking about, it would be hard to do for every school to have that availability. So I think when you're talking about judgment calls, maybe, maybe, maybe down the road when there's a lot more advances and everyone's on the same page, but it would have to be a similar thing where there's some central office that's reviewing everything and um, everyone knows what's, you know, what past interference is and it's the same sort of call. But those judgment calls, I think that's a long time coming. I don't see something like that. Uh, changing anytime soon. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little break and be back in one minute with uh, RJ Abadia talking about USC and Stanford. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, it's time to talk a little USC and Stanford. I'm Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. We got RJ Abadia from thebootleg.com. What is up, RJ? So much, so much is up, and uh, this game's always a big deal. I think for both the fan bases, and once again, I think it's kind of a big deal for everybody. It gets that prime time 5:30 slot this week. Yeah, it's uh, it should be a good one. I thought Stanford was really impressive versus Rice. USC struggled a little bit with Western Michigan, but that is a team that won 13 games last year. So a lot of, a lot of people looking at this game to answer some questions. You got a power from the North and a power from the South. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've been following obviously your stellar daily reports from your, your beat writing crew down there. And I thought one of the most interesting things to come from this week was Dan Weber talking about how USC basically stayed in a nickel base for basically the whole game, much to its detriment. Now, I am of the opinion that 
that is extremely unlikely to be a front that they show against Stanford. But I would definitely want to hear what you think about it. Yeah, they so last year in the beginning of the year when USC struggled, um, they did mix it up a little bit where they for Stanford they had some kind of special packages where they would bring in some different for, formations and uh, rotation of players. You didn't see most of the other time, kind of like a jumbo sort of front or at least jumbo for what USC is doing. Their their base defense they call it like their base defense is supposed to have three down linemen, uh, but their base defense is really the nickel. Like that's what they play most of the time. During the nine-game winning streak last year, they were in that, I think, 93% of the time they were in nickel. It was the teams like Stanford and Utah, and I think in Alabama, too, where they used more uh, down linemen. Um, now, they didn't do that much against Western Michigan, and they were running the ball almost exclusively. So that was a little bit uh, perplexing. Not exactly sure what's going on there. But Clancy Pendergast, likes, the defensive coordinator, likes to get speed uh, out on the, you know, out in the field. Uh, they put three wide receivers out there, so he's playing nickel. And so, if, yeah, if Stanford really wants to do something, they could put three wide receivers out there or three people wide, you know, a couple tight ends, and they just pound the ball. And Clancy Pendergast would probably <laughs> stay in the nickel, it seems. But it's really they, – they say it's about matchups, but I do expect them to have some different sort of fronts for Stanford because they got pushed around too much against Western Michigan. You do that against Stanford, it's going to be a long evening. So, and just one more follow-up just on that. Um, Cameron Smith, I know, missed the first half. And Coach Helton talked about how just simple alignment was kind of a problem against Western Michigan. And I wonder to what extent did his absence in the first half kind of exacerbate that? And then secondly, did you see some improvement when he returned in the second half? Yeah, they really only gave up one defensive touchdown after he returned. Um, and, you know, they don't want to throw Jordan Iasefa, who's the linebacker that came in in the first half under the bus or anything, but certainly the communication was a bit of a problem. Port Augustine was talking about sometimes he was looking back to see the call and the play would start. So it definitely looked like there were some first team, uh, you know, first game problems and not having their, their captain out there. I think, I think it hurt that little bit. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens in this one, but they, they need to clean a lot of stuff up. There was a lot of questions. We got the defensive players to talk yesterday and uh, Clancy Pendergast and stuff. So um, I think they realized it was not the kind of effort that they're they're gonna that's gonna get them a win uh, against Stanford. And you know, to me, I don't know, RJ, for you, um, what did you see when Stanford played Rice? Not a, not a great opponent, you know, whatever thousands of miles away. But to me, it looked like a you know even better team than I, I thought. Stanford was gonna be good, but t- they looked even better than I thought. Well, you know, it's really interesting because the debate. I think since that game has been exactly that, right? What can we take away from this game given the opponent and kind of the circumstances under which the game was played? Um, and I would say, yeah, you definitely have to add an asterisk for the opponent. However, the things that Stanford did well in that game, I expect them to be the things that Stanford does well for most of the season. I think the way they ran the ball, uh, behind that offensive line is going to be a strength. And I think it's going to be a situation where it gets better as the year goes on, because I think at some point Stanford's going to make a commitment to its, uh, two of its two freshman offensive tackles, who I think are the most talented guys in that group. Um, and then the other thing that stuck out, the other two things I would say, uh, the tight end group, 
I think Stanford's kind of always been known for having at least a good tight end, and they've got four this year. And wow. I think that's going to be something <laughs> that gives teams problems all season long. And then finally, um, I talked about the freshman tackles, but just David Shaw's willingness to put freshman talent on the field. Uh, Connor Weddington led the team in receptions in his first college game, and he's kind of been looking very unfreshman-like pretty much since we've been able to see him from the spring through the summer through through now. So, you know, I, I think every game is not going to look like 62-7, to 7, but I think what Stanford was able to do well in those games it are the things it's going to be doing well in the games that it wins. Yeah, the uh, the tight end group, and I think I think USA's got a really good group of tight ends, but you you question how they use them sometimes. Stanford seems to be very good at utilizing the tight ends, and one of the guys that I really like, and I think he had a couple touchdowns, Colby Parkinson. Um, watching him like at the opening, and just going, man, that guy's going to kill it at Stanford. So the fact that he got two touchdowns in his first game that. That makes me feel good about my prediction. <laughs> yes, your your eye remains as sharp as ever, Ryan. Nobody 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 questions your eye for talent, and and I'm sure Stanford fans are are glad you were right. <laughs> he, but what did he like? I didn't get to to watch it the the most of the second half. Like, how did he look in the, the tight end group? Like, who who kind so, of stood out? So they they actually all had catches, if not. By the first quarter, I think by the first half. Um, and so I think the pecking order is still pretty much the same. You've got Dalton Schultz, and the reason that he starts is not just because he's a senior, but because he's the best run blocking tight end. And that's, you know, as you know, with Stanford, that's kind of where it all starts. Um, but Caden Smith and Scooter Harrington played and caught passes and played well. And Colby Parkinson, um, as you can imagine, he's, low man in terms of reliability in terms of run blocking but they've used him all over the place and i'd expect them to use them a lot more especially in those green zone red zone situations where you can throw the ball up to a guy who is 67 229 and athletic i mean that's a problem for a lot of defenses and it actually i'd like to ask you cuz i i i was kind of speculating about it yesterday um how do you imagine who who gets that assignment for USC out of that nickel base defense? The first name that came to my mind was Marvell Tell, but who who do you expect USC to try to use personnel wise to deal with that group? Yeah, that's I think it's going to be interesting because sometimes you'll have uh, like uh, Uchenna and Wusu kind of dropping back because you know they they don't want him really covering a slot receiver, but you know in this case you put two tight ends out there, he's probably going to be. On one of them, uh, when they have, you know, if they have a nickel, there's a JNA Harris is the guy that's kind of coming in there. But, um, I like the way Marvell Tell would match up. I think he's probably, probably would be the focus. I think, um, he had a pick six in the game against, uh, uh, Western Michigan. Um, I, you know, I think he's stepped up his game. I think they like the way he's playing. Uh, I think Chris Hawkins would be kind of more roaming a little bit. So you'll probably see Tell a little closer to the line of scrimmage and you have to cover some guys like that. Um, but that's always a challenge. It's just some, you know, they cause these crazy matchup problems where you got these, you know, tall athletic tight ends. People cover them that are shorter or not as fast or things like that. So it's a, it can be a nightmarish matchup. But I think if it comes down to that where, you know, Keller Chris has a ton of time and he can kind of, you know, pick his spots and, and, and find guys open. Um, it's going to be hard to cover those guys for long periods of time. So it's going to be more about, trying to get some sort of pass rush, disrupting the passing game a little bit. 
and not allowing, you know, Chris to have all the time in the world. And then one of those guys, one of those tight ends and one of those receivers are going to be open. And if Chris can find them, then obviously that's going to be a successful day for the passing game. So uh, just before we leave the USC defense Stanford offense comparison, let me ask you about that. Um, obviously, Stevie Tui Kolovatu, my close Very good. on that. Yeah, you got it. Uh, he was a big anchor for you guys last year in the literal and figurative sense of the word. And he's gone. And I'm just wondering the extent to which USC feels good about its depth and its, its starters on that defensive line. Who do you think are the guys that are going to have to get that push? Yeah. He's one of the hardest guys to replace. And I think when you see the line kind of get pushed around a little bit on Saturday, they're like, okay, well, how much did they miss DVT? Uh, and they missed him a lot, you know. So Josh Fatu, who was kind of a stopgap, he's a JC transfer that uh, has come in. He got the start. Marlon Tui Pelotu, who was committed to Washington and USC, ended up flipping him and he became an early enrollee. Got a lot of reps behind him. I expect him to I- increase uh, that role a little bit. But to ask like a true freshman to to kind of fill those shoes, it's going to be difficult. I think he needs the kind of support around him. But you know, um, Stevie was a you know, 25 year old married man that was just a veteran presence on that line. And I think, you know, some of the other veterans have kind of stepped up in their leadership roles, but someone's got to fill his actual shoes, you know, that actual spot. I think the long term is probably going to be Marlon Tui Pelotu. Um, and they're kind of bringing him along somewhat slowly. Uh, but it's a key, it's a key spot for USC. I think it's harder to run the defense that Clancy Pendergast likes to run if that guy's not doing a whole lot, maybe not collecting stats, but just, you know, disrupting, taking up a couple of blockers, things like that. I think that's something that Stevie Tuikolovatu did, allowing the guys around him to be successful. When, when that spot's kind of, uh, you know, a, a not a strong point, then you're, you know, these other guys around him have to do more and it's harder. And I think that you saw that happen against Western Michigan. So, uh, that's definitely an area to watch. I think the depth is pretty good behind him, but they don't play a lot of guys on the defensive line. They, they're mostly, uh, they mostly stick with the starters. Clancy Pendergast has more of an NFL mentality. I think they're going to try to do more rotation. They brought in like a Christian Rector on third downs in that spot. So third and longs, they would bring him in over Josh Fatu or Marlon Tui-Pelotu. And then sometimes, like you said, with three down linemen, they would bring in a, a Malik Dorton. But it was so infrequent that it wasn't really – didn't need to rotate that spot as much. Um and so on the line, like maybe a, a Rasheem Green or someone like that, you could sub out for sometimes. But for the most part, he just likes to keep his his starters in there until like the end of the game. Yeah, it's funny just because, you know, one of the things we heard while USC was under the crushing yoke of scholarship restrictions was that it was really hurting the defensive line not to be able to substitute. And now now that they've got the option, it seems like Clancy Pendergast <laughs> is just simply choosing not to do it. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, we'll see if they change it, but his philosophy is more of like there's two guys with their hand on the ground, you know? And so, you know, like a quarterback spot, you could have a lot of depth of quarterback, but only one's playing. You know, for Clancy, it's, it's mostly been two. Now they're bringing in more. They'll, they'll, for the third down lineman, but you're talking about coming in for 14 plays a game or something. Not like this is not like a substitution where you're spelling guys and here's the first line and they're going to send out a second wave. Like he doesn't really right. do that. And I think they have, some of the bodies back there to do it. And we'll see if he trusts some of the younger players like going forward, if they're able to do that. But 
I don't know. What about uh, Stanford defensively, RJ? I mean, uh, you know, everyone hears about the secondary. I know some guys came back from injury. Uh, maybe not the best test against Rice, but, you know, this could arguably be one of the best secondaries uh, in the Pac-12 or in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think the the common, I don't know, the common assumption is always, right, that you want to be stronger the closer you are to the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's kind of been conventional football wisdom forever. And Stanford, in a way, is kind of inverted. And normally that might be a problem, but I think in today's era with the way football is played, it, it, it's kind of important to have a secondary like that. And, and yeah, I, I think that, you know, obviously you knock on wood with health concerns, especially when you look at last year. But this this could and should be the best secondary group that Stanford's ever have, stretching into the nickel coverage, stretching into dime situations. When you talk about safeties, um, Justin Reed and Brandon Simmons. Um, and then on the corners, you've got Elijah Holder and Quentin Meeks. And backing them up, you've got guys like Malik Antoine, um, Alamine Murphy. Terrence Alexander, who is one of those guys, is actually going to be out for this game. Um, so I think for Stanford, if it comes down to a defensive group, I think Stanford wants it to come down to how well the secondary plays. I think the area of concern is kind of the area we were just talking about with USC, and that's the defensive line where Harrison Phillips is certainly a known quantity. But after that, you'd be hard-pressed to find a name where you're really confident you're going to get something substantial out of that guy. Yeah, I was kind of looking through and I, you know, names that I would recognize and I, I didn't know too much about the rest of the defensive line. Phil, I mean, Phillips for sure. Uh, what about the linebacking core? Like there's the front seven in general, cause USC had more success running the football than throwing the football. Don't know what they're going to do in this game, but if, you know, that could be one of the focuses. Yeah. Well, I think that the linebackers are. <laughs> literally in between the defensive line and the and the secondary. I don't think they're quite as talented overall, but it's a really good and strong group. And one of the things they've been able to do finally is pare down the inside linebacker rotation. Last year, they literally rotated six guys at inside linebacker regularly. And it was, to their own admission, it was not by design. It was basically a function of, you know, no two guys kind of stepping up and taking that role. And that's kind of changed this year. Uh, Bobby Okarecki and Sean Barton are going to start at inside linebacker. And the coaches really like both of those guys. Um, and then you've got Joey Alfieri who moved from the outside to the inside. So now you've kind of got a more manageable three-man rotation for two inside linebacker spots. And then on the outside, you have Peter Columbay, who uh, I think Coach Helton – Remarked, seemed like he's been here for years and years and years. And yeah, he's, he's definitely been around for quite a while, but he's on the outside. And then on the outside, on the other side, you've got Mike Tyler, who's a player who's been really kind of up and coming this past year. And he missed the rice game, but he will be back on Saturday. Um, well, any, uh, any kind of questions about the USC offense you want to throw? So yeah, a couple things. First off, um, because I have virtually no social life at this point. Um, I've been charting, <laughs> sure. uh, I've been char, I charted some of UCLA, USC's plays against uh, Western Michigan and I got, I basically got through the second and third quarters. So that's a stretch of 36 plays. And 
out of those 36 plays, USC was in the same personnel group for 33 of them. And that was the, the one back, one tight end, three wide receiver set. I mean, that was basically it. And there wasn't a lot of substitutions. I think there was some tight end substitutions because I think Petit got hurt a little bit. But my question is, is that essentially the norm? Because they were even using that, that group in in goal line situations do you expect there to be a little bit more diversity there in the personnel or is that pretty much what usc wants to do that's kind of like their base uh offense for the most part i mean they they announce like a fullback as a starter and then they uh hardly ever gets into the game um they were (laughs) yeah they were rotating so they're starting three wide receivers uh deontay burnett was like the star of the rose bowl he'll be their number one guy but they brought Stephen Mitchell in. He was a he was one of the starters, and um, Jalen Green. Stephen Mitchell's coming off a couple knee surgeries, and Jalen Green's a converted quarterback. But they're veterans, and I think the coaches feel more comfortable with them. But I expect to see a lot more of Tyler Vaughns, who was a former five-star wide receiver that redshirted last year, and then um, Joseph Lewis, who's a true freshman five-star wide receiver um, that Clay Helton told us is going to get more playing time. So I think those two are going to be eventually the guys like next to um, Deontay Burnett, but they do like those formations. Now, sometimes they'll bring in an extra wide receiver. I don't think we saw that like a four wide receiver set against Western Michigan. Um, they did do, they would bring in, uh, so Tyler Petit was like the starter. Daniel Metorbebe at tight end is their best tight end. He's, um, you know, coming back from injury. So they've kind of brought him back slowly. I expect them to play more, uh, against Stanford. He's their real, their biggest threat, but they would bring in, um, Kerry Angeline and, uh, um, uh, there was, a, uh, I forget who was the other, the other tight end, uh, Paul, uh, man. Uh, so they would bring in like a two tight end set, but Kerry Angeline would come in, um, with that group. And then that was kind of a unique thing that they would use, um, every once in a while. So it's for the most part, I would say, that's kind of like the formation of choice. Um, I don't know if it's going to be like a, um, you know, mix things up or whatever with, uh, you know, because it's Stanford or things like that, but they, they do like, uh, they do like that set. They, I mean, they have a lot of wide receivers. Um, so I think because of that, they want to use the different formations where, um, you know, you have that many wide receivers. I'm sorry. Josh follow was the other, he's the true freshman tight end. He's a name I was blanking on. Sorry about that. But they would bring those guys in kind of as a package. And then they would, you know, rotate in uh, running backs. For the most part, one running back. They might use a little bit of two running backs. But that's mostly what they've been doing. And it certainly looked to the to the casual observer against Western Michigan that the only the only thing that was stopping the USC running game was USC not running. <laughs> um, is it? Is it safe to say that that Ronald Jones is probably locked in for more than the 18 carries he got on Saturday? Uh, I don't know if it's safe to say that. I mean, they do like <laughs> rotating. Uh, you would think that would be uh, your best shot, right? Like that's the that I mean, he's the you know one of the best players out there and uh, looked really incredible. Now Stephen Carr coming in. Uh, he had a couple touchdowns as a true freshman in his very first game. Uh, so similar to Colby Parkinson, you know, get a couple touchdowns in your first ever game. That's pretty cool. Um, I think they're going to use him a little bit more. They're going to use Ronald Jones on some kickoffs. Um, so 
I don't know. I mean, I put the over under at 20. I, I wouldn't think it's going to go a lot more than 18. I don't think they wanted yeah. to have even 18 versus Western Michigan because, you know, they thought that they would get all these other guys in. But some of the other running backs didn't get as many turns. They have a new running back coach in Dylan McCullough, so you're not really sure what the rotation is going to be. I think for your best chance to win, get him more than 20 carries. Will they? I'm not sure, RJ. And that brings us, of course, to uh, to old Super Sam. And I guess when the bar is set as high as he said it last year, it's easy to kind of nitpick. Um, but, you know, Dan Weber, I saw the video that you guys ran a couple days ago. We kind of pointed out that when you really look at it, that performance really wasn't that bad or far off from what he typically does. I mean, you had the interceptions. Both of them were off deflections. I would say one of them was really kind of a tough luck situation, but how did he look to you? Yeah, it wasn't, I think, um, it was all right. Like he said afterwards too, like, you know, it wasn't as bad as he thought it was. Sam Darnold said he wasn't as bad as he thought it was when he came off the field that it was, uh, you know, he looked at the film and it was like, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he was efficient. He probably had four drops. He would have had like maybe six incompletions or something if the, the balls weren't dropped. So a whole bunch of new wide receivers. Um, I think they were trying to force some stuff every once in a while where it's like, hey, we can do what we want to in this opponent as opposed to just let the passing game come naturally. Like, okay, Ronald Jones is running like crazy. Just keep running them until they stop it, and then you'll open up some passing stuff. I think they tried to like, okay, we need to get some passing completions now. And then it wasn't happening, and then you kind of get some three and outs, and it just wasn't uh, it wasn't working. But once they started finding Deontay Burnett, which they didn't want to be one-dimensional as far as like receivers, but that's pretty much what they ended up being. They need other people to kind of emerge and step up. And that can't just be something that you force feed uh, to Sam Darnold. So he was, you know, he wasn't like what he was in the Rose Bowl or anything. I don't think they really needed him to be. Um, but that's the first time he hadn't thrown a touchdown pass since his first start against uh, Utah. The rest of the way, he had at least two. So I kind of expect them to, you know, get going again a little bit more. But it's it's really more about the wide receivers. And I think if he gets Daniel Mentor Bebe back at tight end, like as a uh, more constant presence in the lineup that should that should help him tremendously. Yeah, and and you know my understanding and just from the the opportunity that I've had to watch Darnold, um, that's supposed to be what he changed to the USC passing game, right? I mean, there have been these years where the passing game is literally defined by that one outstanding receiver, and that's kind of the the mo. And this year, it sounds like. Number one, he is more of a guy who is going to spread the ball around if given the opportunity. And number two, he's got a group of guys potentially that that can do that. Yeah, that's – I mean, that was um, – I think with like Cody Kessler and some of the other quarterbacks and maybe some of the, just the way the plays were called, that's uh, – they would always kind of find that one guy and force feed him. Um, I don't think they had to do that. It was more of that was a choice. Now – if, if he's, if Deontay Burnett's the only guy getting separation and he's the only guy open, then, and you gotta feed it to him, then you gotta. But I think that's something that Sam Darnold likes to do. He does like to spread things around. Um, you know, it wasn't like Deontay Burnett was the starter coming into he, you know, when, uh, Stephen Mitchell got hurt, he was in there more and more. And then they're like, Hey man, this guy's really good. Um, so you kind of find him. They wanted to give these guys opportunities. Some of the guys, you know, some of the starters weren't getting a lot of separation. And I think that, you know, kind of forced Sam Darnold's hand a little bit. So it, I think it's up to the receivers too. It's not just like, Hey, I want to throw it to other guys. Well, if, if the one guy's clearly open, the other guys aren't, then it's probably right. stupid to throw the other guys. 
Yeah, and so let me just ask you this because I, I think I know your answer, but um, it certainly seems like one of the things that, that causes a lot of consternation every year is that the Pac-12 insists on slotting this game so early when it tends to have some pretty significant ramifications in both divisions. But I think the flip side is that both of these teams are getting each other at a time when you might rather play them because I think both of these teams are going to get much better as the year goes on. Is that your assessment in terms of, you know, risk reward versus playing this game so early? Yeah. You know, I don't have a, a, a huge issue with it. I mean, I, I get that, you know, all the California teams want to play each other. Stanford and USC want to play Notre Dame and, I think the Pac-12, there's some incompetence sometimes when they're doing the scheduling and they can, you know, I'm sure there's other better things they can do. The team's not, you know, can a team go a whole year without a bye week, stuff like that, whatever. But for me, it's like there's no preseason in college football. And even though this is a big, you know, conference matchup, it is still a matchup of teams in different divisions. And either team can lose this game and go on and win their division and win the Pac-12. So I don't see it as too big of a, a detriment. Um, I, you know, I don't mind having these early ones. You know, I'd rather see this than, you know, like an Alabama play a nickel state or something like that. So, uh, I kind of like, I don't know. Do you, do you have any strong feelings towards it? Um, I, I think I agree pretty much with what you're saying. I think first of all, you know, I actually asked David Shaw about it, you know, because it's a, it's, it's a guarantee that kind of has implications in terms of the difficulty of your schedule every year when you're committed to playing USC and the rest of your division is getting them on a rotating basis. But he had literally no hesitation. In fact, he went so far as to say that there's not any point to being in the Pac-12 if Stanford and USC, you know, aren't going to play each other as well as the California schools. And he didn't have any problem with it being pushed up. I kind of side with you. I think they can find a way to play this game later um i know the notre dame thing kind of throws a monkey wrench into the the machinery for the for the conference but like that's a good monkey wrench notre dame is a game that is a guaranteed draw for your conference it's guaranteed national exposure like stop treating it like it's a problem or an annoyance that stanford and usc are playing them every single year and getting great ratings yes it's like that's not a problem that's uh yeah (laughs) you figure this out like that's not you know, I'm sorry, I'm sure it doesn't help, you know, Washington women's soccer, but this is a good thing for the conference. So just deal with it and, and make it, make it work, guys. Yeah. No, I agree. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's kind of get to predictions. I, I, you, I think, you know, I, I'm not too crazy about predicting results, but I, I want to know just how do you see this game playing? Do you think the offenses are going to have their way or do you think there might be some defensive surprises? What are you expecting on Saturday? Man, I was, so I've, do our Pac-12 podcast. I mean, I really wouldn't be shocked if like Stanford won by a couple of touchdowns, if USC won by a couple of touchdowns, if it was close. It's, I mean, there's just so much that can happen here. And we haven't, you know, Stanford was a couple of weeks ago and that was in Australia. What are you really getting from that? I think USC is going to look fairly different than what they looked in week one. And I'm curious to see what Western Michigan looked like going forward because that's PJ Fleck is gone and they didn't really have a passing game, but they had a lot of guys back on defense. They're, they're, you know, they have offensive linemen. It's going to be like a top 10 pick. You know, it's like a good offensive line and some good running backs. I think that's actually going to be a pretty good team. I talked to some people and said, nah, I don't think they will be, but my thought is Western Michigan is going to be pretty good. Still didn't think USC played very well and, you know, think they're kind of capable of playing a lot better in this one. Um, I, I think that the point spread's crazy. It's way too much. 
Um, but you know, whatever. I would take Stanford in the points. My gut says it's probably USC is going to win a close one, but it could be a come down to, you know, USC's had field goal problems and, and Stanford doesn't. Um, you know, so that, you know, they could win a, a close one there. Um, that's kind of like my gut feeling says, but I feel like it's going to be something in the thirties where there'll be some offensive success, some defensive success, but nothing like so one sided where, you know, it's, it was all offense or all defense or anything like that. How about, how about you, RJ? Yeah. You know, I think you said it. I mean, this early in the year with the kind of talent that these teams are putting out there, I think any result is, is fairly plausible. I, I would expect that if Keller Christ plays well, which, you know, when you compare the two quarterbacks, I think he's certainly on the undercard. Uh, but if he plays well, I think Stanford, I think Stanford can win the game and probably should win the game. Cause if he's playing well, it probably means they're running the ball and he's getting things done with play action. Um, if he doesn't play well, I'm not sure how Stanford can keep the game close, to be quite honest with you. But, um, but yeah, honestly, any outcome would, would be, would be plausible in my mind. And, and Stanford in the points to me is a smart bet, I think, um, if you had to make a bet, cause I think that's just all about USC betters moving that money line. Cause I don't think anybody just on the surface sees this as a, a double digit game walking in. No, I don't. And I think, um, what was it? Our buddy Chris Felica, uh, so he's, he does, um, you know, college game day and does a lot of picks. He said in the last six years, Stanford's been a dog of at least a touchdown three times versus USC and won three all outright by at least seven points. So, I mean, historically, it's just like, yeah, okay, maybe USC wins by 10 or something, but. I would, you know, 10 times out of 10, I would be taking Stanford in the points and you kind of see how things, uh, develop from there. But that's, to me, that's like, yeah, that, that, like that would be where the smart money is. But the, the lines moved so much. I mean, I think it was up to 10 at some point. It was down at four after USC struggled with Western Michigan and then it went back up, you know, from four up to like seven. So, you know, people are betting on USC, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I think it's going to be great. I'm excited. Um, one last thing I guess we have to talk about. Um, are we going to get that Arizona-like heat that drenched the, that overwhelmed the Coliseum? Are there any other biblical plagues on the horizon for Saturday, Frog, weather-wise? Any frogs or anything? No, I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> frogs falling from the sky. Uh, no, it's cooled down here significantly. I haven't actually checked the, the weather specifically for that day, but it's a lot. It's a lot more manageable. It's a lot better, uh, right now. Plus it'll be a little bit later in the evening than that 2.15 start for Western Michigan. So, uh, hopefully RJ, when you come down or when you, you know, you're in the Coliseum, it's not going to be sweating bullets and anything like that. So that, that was pretty miserable. And I was in the press box. So my poor shotgun and Keeley were down on the field shooting photos and video and stuff. I felt bad for them because they were, they were really miserable. Yeah. Felt bad. From the press box. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like it's an air conditioning press box. Like, it was still hot. Like we were still sweating in there and the windows were open and stuff, but it's not baking in the sun. So you yeah, know, you don't want to complain. No, too I hear you. Yeah. Cool. Awesome stuff, RJ. We'll, uh, we'll see you on Saturday and, uh, yeah, it's good. Good talking some, uh, USC Stanford football with you. Yeah. Thanks for doing it, Ryan. I'll see you. I'll see you on Saturday. All right. Thanks, RJ. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next time. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.